Mic check. One, two, one, two. Yo, what's up, man? Is this thing on? <laughs> We're the Queued Up Podcast on Podcast, your weekly source for podcast news, tips, and tricks. From production to promotion and everything in between. I'm John Luckenball. And I'm Matthew Stevens. Two podcast experts ready to help you every Wednesday. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Queued Up Podcast on Podcasting. As always, I am one of your hosts, Matthew Stevens, and I am joined by John Luckenball. John, how are you doing today? Matt, I can hear. It's important for an audio person, right? For an yeah, audio person. yeah. Just getting back from the doctor, and uh, yeah, things sound a lot clearer. That's good for our editing and production, right? <laughs> that is precisely it. Yeah, we're, we're all good to go. That's fantastic. Awesome. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Uh, I just had my, my kiddo's birthday and uh, enjoying being a parent for this moment um, until she does something awful. And then, then I questioned it again, let's be honest, but yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm loving life right now. Cannot complain. And uh, for you folks at home, I bet you guys are all loving life right now, uh, being podcasters and whatnot. Podcasting is beloved in part thanks to how intimate it feels. While other mediums like television and print are clearly more widespread, they don't have that kind of personal connection in quite the same way as a podcast can. That intimacy is perhaps best utilized in interview podcasts. Now, John, interview podcasts, celebrity interview podcasts are all over the place. They're getting bought up, uh, shameless, a million other different ones that are out there. There are a lot of really good interview podcasts on a variety of topics from a lot of people that aren't necessarily celebrities. I, I highlighted the podcast LGBTQ&A recently for Pride Month as a great example of what can be done with the power of podcasting if you have an engaging host who is a skilled interviewer. Now, for podcasters out there, you want to get your interview skills right. You want your episode to be polished. You want to ask the right questions. You want to make sure your guest feels comfortable and you definitely want to get want them to give you some juicy answers. But how do you become a better interviewer? On today's episode of the Queued Up Podcast on Podcasting, we're going to help you out with that. We're sitting down with Queued Up team member and head of script writing, Isabel Monjo, to discuss this very topic. Izzy, how are you doing? Welcome back to the show for like the ninth time or something. Thank you for having me. And also, I can hear as well. So John and I are just doing great. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Real quick before we start off here, what are your pet peeves? of a podcasting host for example terrible segues matt we do not have any terrible segues in this show but john do be dirty like that we got we got some awful segues no we don't no we're good we're good but matt izzy is there a pet peeve of yours when you listen to a podcast host interrupting i dislike when podcast hosts talk too much they don't let their guests talk because ultimately why are you inviting your guests on the show if you're not going to let them talk? So that's a very good point, Lizzie. I'll, I'll say people that uh, are not prepared is one of my biggest pet peeves. And it's, it comes through in every bit of the audio. It comes through in every bit. The questions, everything. Uh, so is that like so a, Sorry, I was interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> so is that like not being able to lead a conversation, kind of jumping from topic to topic without any kind of structure, Matt? Well, I, I'd say people that just don't dive in enough. They do very surface level stuff. If you're talking about news where it's just this thing happened, okay, well, I can get that anywhere. 
you know, why should I be listening to you specifically? Or in the case of interviews, where you know nothing about your guest. And, and again, it comes through pretty clearly when you're like, oh, that movie you were in. And they go, I, I, that's, I was in 12 of them, so which one? Or that, oh, that one thing you did that one time. Uh, you know, and, and especially when you leave that stuff in. I guess uh, one of the other biggest issues I have, John, is poor editing. Uh, but certainly bad interviewing is, is, oh, it's one that drives me up a wall. Speaking of editing, another pet peeve is when the host responds to the guest mid-sentence and everything where, mm-hmm, uh-huh, okay, yeah. Like, you <laughs> do not have to do that. Like, if it's funny, yeah, you can laugh. Mm-hmm. But it's, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my main mode of communication. <laughs> well, I mean, in normal conversation, it, you know, to affirm people and to keep going, it's normal. But in podcasting, that's really a pain in the ass. And it's, I mean, for both editing or you don't want to hear the host interrupting the guest all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Just let him, let him talk. And then at the end, get into it. I've gotten into the habit of, for the three people that are in this room, I nod my head as a way to do the same thing as all of us are now nodding our heads. I nod my head to be able to get that same type of thing out because it, it is such a natural part of normal conversation, of normal communication. You feel kind of weird not doing it, uh, not giving that feedback. So I nod so that way the person knows I'm hearing them. I'm, I'm doing the uh-huh, but I'm doing it visually, not on audio. Yeah. And if you do, for us, it's no problem because we record in separate tracks. So I can go through and I can remove that. Or any like dumb laughs that we do, I can I can take those out. So it's not not so much of an issue with with our podcast, but yeah, that that is kind of an annoying thing for some of the clients that we get, and, and that's another reason, like you said, Matt, the the visual aspect of it. That's another reason to have, like, if you're doing Zoom, if you're not in person studio and you can't pick up on these visual cues, to have a Zoom, even though you might not be doing a video podcast to be able to see each other and we can still pick up some cues from each other. Ultimately, you want to acknowledge what your guest is saying and you want to show them that you're listening to them, but you don't need to keep reminding the audience of your own presence, if that makes sense. Like the audience can go two minutes without knowing that you're there. To sum that up a little bit, I mean, I think it's something we're going to cover certainly throughout this episode, but your interview podcast is about the person you're interviewing, not you. The second you interject yourself into it and make it more of you than it is about the guest, people hate it. So stop it now. Izzy, we keep coming back to this when you're on the podcast. What makes something entertaining? Stories. And people's stories, which is what interviews are. Interviews are just hearing about a person's life story. I think that's what we need to get into today is how to bring this story out through the interview process. You know, Izzy, Let's give people the high-level stuff before we dive into the nitty-gritty. Do you have some just kind of simple tips for conducting better podcast interviews? Well, the very first thing that comes to mind, and I think it's just the most important, is choose a topic that you are actually interested in and a topic that your guests are interested in. Your passion and your knowledge on topics will come through in the interview and people will be able to tell how much you like that subject or how much you don't like that subject. So gravitate towards the subjects that just sort of light you up inside, you know, that get your brain going, get you really excited, because 
your interview and your hosting abilities and your delivery will all fall flat if you're doing something you don't care about. I think it's also important that your guests need to have some kind of charisma to begin with. Not everyone has it. So the reality is some guests are much better than others. So finding those guests, that would be interesting for your audience also. You shouldn't interview someone just because they're famous or have an impressive job title. If you don't actually care about what they do, listeners will pick up the fakeness through your questions. It can come off kind of like a canned, I guess you would say. Your audience doesn't want to feel like you don't want to do your own podcast, right? <laughs> you should be the one that's the most excited about your podcast and about your topics covering, and that will get your audience excited about it too. Your audience does not want to feel like they're forcing you to make a podcast because ultimately at the end of the day, you know, you're delivering a product for them. I think if you choose something that you don't like, it will, it will just come through. Speaking of bad segues, uh, this, <laughs> this sort of is related to another aspect of that. And it's choosing topics that you're knowledgeable in or topics that you can then conduct your research in. Just like how your audience will be able to tell you don't like what you're doing, they'll also be able to tell if you don't know what you're talking about. From my experience interviewing football players and, and things over the years uh, in my previous jobs is, you know, everyone's going to ask the same handful of questions, regardless of where they're on. What makes your interview, what makes your podcast stand apart is the fact that you did the deep homework. I mean, we look at what are some famous interviews? Uh, I, I think uh, Hot Ones is, an, is a big one. Oh, You've got Howard it. Stern. Yep. Mm -hmm. You've got, and on all these guys dig in deeper. They do either more research up front or they have someone else do more research for them. Or they go about and, and they dig deeper into individual topics and, and start getting people's mindset and start doing some of that stuff. But it really all starts with that research. You got to know what your guest is doing. You got to know what's happening there. And one of the things I always say for people that are looking out for, for tips to become a better interviewer is if you can find that little thing, I, I'll, I'll recall back to a specific interview, interviewing a football player who for those people that don't know, they can be really standoffish. They go through PR stuff. So they're very used to kind of giving the canned answers. I found a, an old Escalade that he had about a decade earlier that he named Black Betty. He loved that, that truck so much. We talked about it for about 30 seconds. It's a throwaway question, really. But it got him to realize I did my homework. And he opened up a lot more. He got a lot more interested. I stopped getting as many canned answers. And ultimately turned out to be one of my better interviews, that's where the research, the power of research can really come in. I think that really points to the idea of your guest will know, just like your audience will know you haven't done your research, your guests will know if you haven't done your research. But if you do do your research and you go above and beyond like you did, Matt, in that interview, they'll trust you more and they'll feel respected more by you and therefore will respect the interview more. Absolutely. So, Izzy, on, on the flip side of that, one thing that really kind of bugs me is when the host goes on and on and on and on and on about a guest's accomplishments. I mean, they're great and all, right? But that's not really what makes a great interview. Instead of <laughs> focusing on the accomplishments, maybe, like Matt said, pick out an you know, aspect of the personality or keep an eye out for anything interesting or unusual about them, like like what she said about Black Betty. I mean, that's often where the seeds of a great story lie. So when you do your research for on your guest, is there places that you go specifically to find more information? Well, I think it depends on the industry that your guest is in. But social media, 
I think across the board can help give you an idea of your guests. So whether that's Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, or if you're kind of more in the business field or a science, go to LinkedIn, look and don't just read their subheading under their name, scroll down, see where they went to school. Maybe you guys went to the same school and you could miss that because that's at the bottom of the page. Scroll down, read all the way through. It takes an extra 30 seconds, but it can lead to a much higher quality interview. You'd be really surprised what you kind of find buried at the bottom of people's LinkedIn stuff. What's really interesting about that specifically is that people are very passionate about the projects they worked on at this early stages of their career, no matter what field you're in, because that's the thing that launched them. That's the thing. Those are the projects that taught them a lot. Those are the projects that helped them enter their career that they're in today. So I always find sort of looking at the origins of how somebody entered a certain field or got to a certain position they are today. That's what they are very passionate about. And While it's great to talk about current topics and what they're doing now, it's also interesting to sort of ask, hey, what got you interested in this topic? Or I saw you did this, you know, internship at 20 years old in Chicago. That must have been insane. What was that like? You know, just as you were saying, Matt, like the 10 years ago sort of things, I think people get really excited about or they have a lot of passion for that or a lot of feelings towards those early stages of their career or their life or whatever, whatever your interview is covering. Absolutely. Well, and, and kind of going back to the point is the reason why that stuff is so engaging as well is because out of the 10 other interviews they're going to do, everyone's asking about the last six months because that's as far as anyone's going to research. So when you dig into the stuff when they were 21, yeah, yeah, they're, they're going to love that. They're going to go, oh, man, I haven't thought about that in, in years. And that's where you get them hooked. And the second they go, oh, that's great. This is a great question. Y- you have a great interview. Y- you're leading into some really good stuff. I think that's a good point, Matt. If they do have other media appearances, other interviews, go and listen to them because you might be able to pick questions out of there that you can ask follow-up questions that, that weren't asked during that interview. I think that to kind of, um, rather than getting the same canned answers from your guests, you can actually dig deeper on it. Learn from other people's mistakes. When they ask the question and they didn't do a follow-up because they have 10 questions and they're reading from a checklist and they don't bother diving into a sub-question, use, ask the same question. You're going to get the same canned response, but then go, ah, you mentioned this thing. Let's dive into that. And now you open up a whole new sub-branch of questions you can ask that no one else has asked but use other people's research basically for your advantage to a certain degree and, and uh, you'll, you'll get a much better result. You know on YouTube, like those compilations of like terrible interviews? <laughs> like, <laughs> I love those. By the way, if you want to do your research on how to not be a bad interviewer, those are also very helpful. But there was one clip that is sort of famous and I can't remember the celebrity for the life of me, but I think it was like one of the, it was like a Marvel interview. And the interviewer asked, what are three questions that you want me to ask you or something like that. And you could just see the actors and the actresses, their faces just totally crumble. And one of them goes, goes, isn't that your job? Aren't you the one who's supposed to come up with the questions? But you could tell it was so much more than that. They had been doing press tour after press tour after press tour. And then they are so tired. They're so sick of answering questions. And then finally, someone's like, hey, 
what should I ask you? And they just lost it. Now, whether you're interviewing someone who's doing a lot of press or not, a lot of people, as you said, Matt, like people just ask the same old questions. So it's good to see what other interviewers are asking and maybe try to avoid that. Or like you said, do a follow up or do a different angle. Maybe wording it slightly differently can give you a much better answer. Well, and to double down on that example a little bit, Izzy, is part of the research you should be doing is what are they promoting right now? Are they doing a ton of interviews? Is this a one-off thing? Is it call after call after call? Is it all in one day? Is it within a month? But some of that information will dictate, okay, well, this is a call. They're going to be on here for seven hours, and they're talking to media person after media person. I don't know where I'm going to fall on that. If I'm first, great. I get a fresh person. If I fall last, I've got a person who's answered all of these questions a million times and does not have the patience for me. So I have to be more engaging in a different way. I need to talk to this person a different way. I need to lead the questions in other ways uh, in order to get what I want. So you have to know part of that research is where is your guest even coming from to begin with? Yep. Mm -hmm. So if your show, for example, aims to help listeners learn, focus on asking why and how questions. From your experience with some of our clients, do you have an example of a way to structure a question to get a why and how example? I think that any question that is set up to be, and I know we might touch on this a little bit later as well, but any question that's set up to be a yes or no is not going to be a good interview question. I think focusing on like the why and how, those are the types of questions that even in the most professional business podcast interview, those questions are still somewhat a little bit more emotional in a way than just sort of procedural or logical. So for example, you could say, how did that impact you? Or what did you learn from that experience? Or how have you changed after working at that company? Questions that elicit not just, I guess, emotions, but reflection and uh, sort of prompting or eliciting somebody to really look back and reflect on their experiences or their current state or how they've changed as a person, all those types of questions I found get the best answers, the most interesting answers. Matt, I know we mentioned, you know, preparing these questions ahead of time, but isn't it also important to remain flexible during the interview? Yeah, I think that's something that we have touched upon throughout this entire episode is you have to be flexible. A guest, especially if you don't know exactly what their answer is going to be, and hopefully you don't, because you're not asking the same questions everybody else is, they might throw you something that allows you to double down and go, oh, oh I didn't know about that. Let's, how did that make you feel? Is he, you, were, you were talking about that. That's those probing questions. Don't go just surface level. Dig deeper as you go along. And part of that is remaining flexible. So when someone tells you, you know, I, I sold Black Betty uh, uh, three years ago. Oh, well, great. Did, what car did you buy now? Well, I bought blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, Let's just say you have unlimited money. What car would you buy if you had anything you possibly can? What would you do to it? Okay, well, now I've kind of dug down that rabbit hole. It might not necessarily be super important to the interview itself. It might not be something we actually put out. But again, I'm just making that person feel more comfortable. I'm, I'm, that flexibility is allowing me to, to do more with that person than what I normally would have been if I'm, again, just reading off a cue card. Matt, even taken off of our podcast, 
I mean, I know we've had a couple of guests where one in particular where we came in wanted to do an episode on like social media. When the guest's first answer was like, I hate social media, we shouldn't, you know, don't focus on social media. That pretty much scrapped our entire list of, you know, our questions. Or from then on, we had to structure the questions in a different way. So it wasn't on social media. It was on the direction that the guests wanted to take us. Now, I guess that's where you can say the question that you want to ask next lies within the answer that someone is giving you, right? So that's going to be your best follow-up question. It's not what's the next question on your list, but kind of going off of the answer that they give and building off of that then. Yeah, you should always be vibing with your, your interview guest. You should always be feeling what they're saying and then, then using that to kind of break off and, and do other things for sure. The hard stops of, okay, so we were just talking about their car. What's the last thing you ate? Well, that's a hard stop. <laughs> <laughs> that completely resets the, the bar again. You have to start all over again. I think a lot of what this comes down to is scripting your show and structuring your show, but then allowing for that flexibility almost within the structure, if that makes sense. So sometimes I will write down interview questions and then I will do possible follow-up questions A, B, and C. And I might only ask one of those follow-up questions because the guest will answer the other two in their first response, or they might not. Maybe you can go through all three of those follow-up. But I think what's really important is having some sort of structure but then you can always put in your script, you know, if they don't cover this, ask this, or if they do cover this, ask this. And those are more notes for yourself. And that's totally okay because at the end of the day, the script is a working document. It's not a final product. It's just a blueprint for the podcast show that is going to come out. So don't be afraid to like write that flexibility into your script, if that makes sense. And if you do do your research, like we've harped on a lot because it's really important. If you do do your research and your guest basically throws your whole script out the window, fall back on the research again to come up with questions on the spot. So like you guys were saying, that person did not want to talk about social media at all. Okay, well, what else is in their background that we can talk about? Or what are they doing currently? Or where are they heading in their career that we can sort of cover instead? And that episode turned out wonderful the way it did, going into more community engagement. That was a it was an excellent episode. That type of stuff's happened throughout my career uh, quite a lot. Is yeah, you get a guest that just they're not feeling it's it's obviously not feeling even if they're not going to be as transparent as ah I hate this topic let's not talk about it. You can tell in their answers ah eh, they're just not they're not they're not there. Izzy, I mean, let me ask you this as the scriptwriter here that's queued up and as a person who prepares a lot of that stuff. You know, it sounds like you should have far more questions than you're ever going to ask. So that way you can go in a bunch of different areas. If a topic is off limits or if they're just not doing it, it sounds like you should, by the end of the interview, still have a good interview's worth left of questions on your sheet. You don't want to overwhelm yourself in the sense that you don't want to look at a sheet of paper that has a hundred questions on it and you're like, wait, which one do I pick next? But I definitely agree. I think that you, at the end of every interview, you should still have one third of the questions or half the questions you didn't even get to. I think it's the sign of a great interview to have leftover inter interview questions. And it's better to have questions left over than to run out of questions halfway through. Depending on the length of your interview, I usually have like solid 10 interview questions, but then I have follow ups underneath those. So I might have anywhere between 20 
and 30 questions, actually, if you include the follow-up questions under the main points. But I still have those 10 points. And that's also something that could help you in your scripting. Don't be afraid to group your questions by theme. So for example, if your guest, they work in the NFL and then they do a lot of charity stuff, then organize your questions by those different areas. So if they get really, really excited, maybe they get really excited about the charity instead of them, you know, like you talk to them about the Super Bowl and you realize, oh, I'm just not getting anything out of them. And you switch to charity and you realize they're really excited about that. Well, now you have like 10 questions on that that you can follow up on. So that's just an example of what might make it easier for you is sort of grouping those questions together. Excellent. That's awesome, Izzy. How about going into the interview? Is there a certain process, a pre-interview process that the host or the the podcast production team should do with your with the potential guest? There are a few logistical things you want to take care of. Make sure you have their permission to record. Make sure Ooh. and you have that on the recording. You say, do I have your permission to record? Do I have your permission to ask you these questions? Do I have your permission to release this? Also, if there's anything you say that you want me to take out, let me know at the end of the show. And then at the end of the show, ask that same question again. Is there anything you want me to take out? Because you just don't want to get in a position where you have somebody you know, spill their guts out just from the interview process. And it's in the moment and it's a great interview. And then you put it out there online and they're so embarrassed that, you know, you just caught them in a moment or a bad day and they don't want it in there. It just causes a lot of problems. So make sure you cover your bases in that regard. Other than that, I would also say, make sure your guest has a general idea of what you're talking about. (laughs) You don't want to, you don't want to catch them so off guard. You want to prepare them too. Maybe there is an article they want to reference, you know, relating to your topic. If you tell them, hey, we're talking about this topic, they'll say, okay, I'm going to go reread that article so I can pull stats from it or whatever, whatever their process is too. You need to help them kind of set up their interview process as well. As far as like the, the recording aspect of it, I mean, we'll go over a little bit later, you know, some tips on getting the best sound and everything, but kind of outline the steps of the recording process outline where the episode will be published, how it'll be promoted, when it'll be live, things like that. What about Matt on the marketing side of it? Is there things that you have to go over with the guest, like uh, as far as promotion, cross promotion type of things? I think it's always good to ask them if they'd be willing to share things to tell them, you know, hey, we'll send you over a graphic. Would you mind sharing it on your social media or, you know, your blog? One of the other big things is, you know, thank them. (laughs) <laughs> thank them for being on so they don't have to be uh they're taking time out of their day for this and and i can tell you having done enough interviews over the years myself a good half of the people never ever say thank you it, it's like it's an obligation for you and that you should be grateful for coming onto their show and that is the quickest way for me as a guest to go well i'm never doing that show again that was miserable and then izzy you also mentioned cue them into what you're going to do what you're going to ask about the rough beats and then don't spring something on them that is a hot button topic without having covered that first. Again, I've also had that happen to me too. And in the middle of an interview, live on the air, I go, I, I'm not at all qualified to talk about that. I'm not going to. Makes the interviewer look crappy. Makes me look crappy. None of us win out of that. You know, for somebody in pre-interview processes, yeah, t- talk to your guest. If you're pitching them, they should know what you're going to be talking about. They should know the ways you're going to promote it. They should also, again, if you're using them, if they're a big enough guest, 
in this way, they should also know what you're going to hand to them for promotion purposes and ask them if they're willing to do that. Most times, yes, they're on there because of a specific reason. They understand the cross-promotional abilities. So uh, it's usually not a big deal, but do it. Okay, so we're prepared. Now we're getting into the interview. We're recording it. We're going through it. We've already been through uh, one of our biggest pet peeves. Don't interrupt, right? So we don't want to interrupt the guest as he as they are speaking. If your guest mentions something you want to dig deeper on, a suggestion might be to write it down on a notepad and raise it when they've finished making their point. But most importantly, you know, when your guest is speaking, stay silent. <laughs> don't even do the uh-huh, yeah, okay. That's both annoying for the production team and for the the listeners. But on the flip side of that, Matt, we have to keep the conversation moving forward. You know, 30 minutes might sound like a lot of time, but if you've got a lot of ground to cover, it isn't. <laughs> so do you have any tips on keeping that conversation going forward, how to rein guests back in? Well, John, uh, that that's a great point. And I mean, like, let's let's be transparent here. We're, we're, we keep this interview very uh, loose, very carefree, because it is. We're all co-workers, so it helps. We've got eight points that we want to talk about here. There are eight individual things. So we know, okay, we're working on, again, to be fully transparent, about 39 minutes of recording right now. In order for this episode to not be two and a half hours, we're probably going to need to jump into the next thing pretty soon. So, i.e., keeping the conversation moving. So that's a great way of, again, just you internally going, okay, well, as soon as they're done making their main point, instead of expanding upon that any further, let's segue into the next thing. How are we going to segue into the next thing? Unless, again, they come off with a major thing and, and say, like, you know, I'm OJ's killer or, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> then you go, okay, well, you know, we're going to dive into this a little bit further. Forget the next few points. But largely speaking, it's, okay, what's the next thing that we need to talk about? How can I segue into that? Uh, smoothly, that's where your brain should be going from, from keeping the, pro- the conversation moving forward. It's not really a pet peeve of mine, but more a small little quirk thing that I think makes interviews much better or worse is when you are sort of finishing up a topic with a guest and your guest has sort of finished this long speech on it, whether it's good or not, and you want to move topics. Something I just dislike a lot is when Hosts don't even acknowledge what that person said. They just take a pause and then they ask the next question. Even if you say, oh, thanks, I really appreciate your answer. Are you great points? I couldn't agree more. And then ask the question, just a small phrase to acknowledge what your guest has said. That goes a long way. It makes your guest feel heard. It gears your audience up for a change. When you say something like, thanks, those are great points. I couldn't agree more. And it's sort of like a non-answer, but it's a very kind of important non-answer. Your audience, I think, is starting to prep. Oh, okay. So something else is going to happen now. So I just really think that a quick one-sentence acknowledgement of what they've said before moving on is a great way to sort of segue. The next question on my list. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) I knew you were going to do that. (laughs) That's awesome, Izzy. One of the the shows, and we point her out all the time, is Survive and Thrive. She does a lot of interviews. uh, So again, if you you haven't checked that out, check it out. Uh, Jenna's a great interviewer because she then, at the end of it, goes, so what I heard you say, what I feel like is happening there, you you, you sum it up at the end of it, it creates a nice little bow at the end of it, uh, and allows you to kind of move on. Personally, that's not necessarily my style as much. Uh, Each interviewer is going to have their own style. You'll typically hear me go, absolutely, or yeah, sure. 
I try to end with a positive, yeah, I heard you, we're wrapping up, we're segueing into the next thing, as kind of that that cue a little bit. Now, granted, I, I personally will say I need to be better about expanding that vocabulary, expanding that a little bit more. But Izzy, I think you hit the nail on the head. You need to give your guest and the listener a cue that something else is getting ready to happen. You cannot have abrupt changes, and you can't just stay on that topic forever, obviously. I thought of another pet peeve. <laughs> well, <laughs> will you segue into another topic? Don't say the next question on my list. Mm, that yeah. is that's annoying. It's just lacking creativity and a creative art. Honestly, I'm gonna say it, it's lazy podcasting. Does it excite people? Does it entertain them? Does it elevate your show above the thousands and thousands of other interview podcasts that are out there? No, it doesn't. It's just lazy podcasting. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that one. And, you know, I don't necessarily mind having it in there every now and again type of thing, especially if you're being really transparent that, that like in this, we have a list of questions that we're going to go over. We've got points that we need to make. Just don't do it every time. You know, and, and even then, try to get away from it. Try to push away from it. I think one of the things I'll, I'll make this another small point in the middle of all of this is you should always be listening to your interviews and going, man, I say um a lot. I say absolutely a lot. I say correct a lot. I need to consciously change that. You should be doing that as a podcaster regardless. You should be listening to yourself and then going, oh man, that sucks. Let me change it. Uh, or that's a little too repetitive. Let me change it. You should always be trying to evolve. The same thing goes as an interviewer. Your first interview is not going to be good. You should look back a year from now and go, ooh, ooh, I'm cringing at how awful that interview was. You should. You always should be. You should be in a lot of things. Uh, we should always move forward. Speaking of this very specific point, evolution is, is very much a part of that. And becoming a better interviewer over time is a part of that. You have to listen to what you're doing in order to figure out what you're doing wrong. That's an awesome point, Matt. So yeah, listening back to your own interviews, but also, what about listening to master interviewers or interviewers that are pros at, or that are good at what they do? Do you have a favorite interviewer that you guys listen to? I like Colbert a lot. I think he's a really good interviewer. I know that's not a podcast, but I think when you're in any arts field, you should be taking inspiration from all other mediums. So if there's a late night host that you like who's a good interviewer, listen to them. I mean, Howard Stern, I have mixed feelings about Howard Stern because I think in many ways he's very problematic, but in other ways, some of the best interviews I've ever seen have come from him more recently. Like we said, he knows how to dig deep and he gets really interesting interviews. And other times he completely misses, which is kind of hilarious to me. Maybe listen to other podcasters in your field. If you're covering similar topics, see what they're doing, see what they're doing well. You know, learn from what they're doing well, but also from their mistakes just as much as your own. Prior to recording, you had also given a, an example on Kevin Hart being one of your favorite interviewers. Can you explain that to the listeners? He has this new interview show out where he's interviewing uh, celebrities, but something that has really made him stand out to a lot of people. And I think what was really unexpected from him is he does not interrupt his guests at all. He lets them talk. He lets his celebrity guests talk and talk and talk, but it's still interesting. And a lot of people, as I was saying to Matt and John before the show, the top comment under every single video is, wow, I can't believe he's not interrupting them or wow, I can't believe he's letting them talk. 
Because you think somebody who's a comedian, an entertainer, somebody who's used to made a living off of talking is now choosing to take a step back. But I think that that shows maturity. And I think it shows that he understands the interview is not about him. It's about the guest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I personally am a big fan of Graham Norton uh, over on the BBC. He is, and it doesn't matter what interview you watch, all the guests are always super comfortable. He gives them wine. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, look, let's be real. There are some tips to the trade. Sometimes that is a little boost. But yeah, Graham Norton's show is, is fantastic. And you see people give the quips, the stories that they will not give anywhere else. I mean, typically when you see a celebrity, it's the same thing on each and every show because, well, all of your canned, let's be honest. That's why I'm not a big fan on a lot of those, the, even the Colbert's and, and that group, the Carsons, uh, Jimmy Fallon is a perfect example of that. But Graham Norton makes everybody feel super comfortable, whether he does something beforehand and kind of off camera talks to him a little bit, gets into it a little bit with him. Uh, but he also, like we've mentioned, all the points, he lets the guests talk. He knows when and where to dive further into something. Uh, he knows how to segue into a story or into a specific point. Uh, and more importantly, since he has multiple guests, usually all around, he allows them to kind of play off of each other in a way that is just super organic. And, and a lot of his best interviews are when two celebrities are, no, no, really, I didn't know you did that. Yeah, I totally did that. Oh, we should get coffee afterwards. Yeah, that's awesome. As an interviewer, please don't be judgmental. I feel like it comes through. Don't be condescending. Don't be judgmental. And I know I'm being preachy right now <laughs> saying it like that, but it's true. There's an interviewer, even for an outlet like Sunday Morning, she's very judgmental and she tries to hide it. And you can tell in the way that she asks the questions. Or maybe you ask a question a certain way that sounds judgmental, even if you're not. I think when you ask people, why would you do that? Like something that sounds accusatory, people, it puts people on guard. I think in terms of like what you were talking about with Graham Norton, I have never seen him seem condescending or seem judgmental. He might ask a question like, what made you think that was a good idea? But it's like a funny, lighthearted joke. Sometimes it's just the delivery. It, it's never a malicious question. But really, pay attention to tone and vocabulary because that can really impact how your guest feels while they're on your show. Yes, definitely. It's, it's something that uh, we should preach at all times. Watch your tone. You do not realize what vibe you're giving off sometimes when you have a certain tone or especially visually, if you have certain mannerisms or, or ways of, of uh, kind of communicating, if you're very big with your hands, as I'm sitting here doing, like, like we're going to be able to see this. But, you know, sometimes that stuff gives off a certain vibe to, to someone, and it will absolutely impact how your interview is going to go. And if a, if a guest feels that you're condescending, if a guest feels that you're belittling, if your guest feels like you're not interested, it will absolutely play out in their answers. And what they're willing to share with you or not willing to share with you, more importantly. And then you get the standard, mm-hmm, yep, nope, yes, no answers uh, to things. Or the, yep, that's the, we did that one time. Yep, sure. The thing I really, really don't get about the judgmental thing is that the point of the interview is to understand someone. And so when you are being judgmental, that's the opposite of understanding somebody. So if somebody says, confesses something they did on your show, that is you know strange to you or doesn't make sense 
you know, ask them why not in a judgmental way, but to understand, you know, and I, I guess it just goes against the whole point of the interview is why I hate judgment so much, because the whole point of the interview is to understand someone better, to humanize them, to see their world and their perspective. And when you come at it sort of aggressively or accusatorily, then they're going to just put their walls up. I think this is a great segue into really one of our main points, which is practice active listening. And one of the ways to do that is to ask, like you're mentioning, Izzy, if you want to dive further into something, oh, what was going through your mind in that moment? It Clearly, you heard what they said, and you're now segueing into them, allowing them to, to do more of an explanation or, or to just explain themselves in the first place. Or why would you do something like that? Again, just tone is big important there but it allows you to continue going through and paying attention to what they're saying so that way you can double down into some stuff. There's a Howard Stern interview with an actress who was talking about after her parent died, I think it was after her father died, she was in so much pain, she broke her hand. And this was when she was like five years old. And so Howard Stern was like, why did you break your hand? I mean, anyone could be like, you're crazy. You broke your hand after hearing, you know, your father died when you're a child. Anyone, you know, people might think, oh, that's messed up. But he asked her, what made you want to break your hand? And she said, I was in so much pain. I wanted to feel any other pain. Wow. And so as a child, she broke her hand. And it was one of the most powerful interview moments I've ever seen. And it was just because he had asked her simply and honestly, what made you do that? And not in a way that was rude or judging. That kind of goes back to our point that if you ask someone a question they've been asked a thousand times, they're going to give you that same answer a thousand times. Or just like how Howard Stern asked her that question, why? Do you have any further tips on helping someone to develop quality questions to ask your guests? I think a lot of this comes down to emotional intelligence as well. You know, doing your research, making sure you're knowledgeable. But like we said before, picking up on the cues that your guest is giving you. If you're asking them about a topic and maybe they said they feel comfortable talking about it, but then when you're asking them those questions, they look visibly uncomfortable, move on. I think it's really important to read your guest. This is why we said earlier, it's really important maybe to have a video going, even if you're not recording the video. I think it's really important to just pay attention to the body language of your guest. The basics that everyone should be going through in their head at all times is the who, what, why, when, and where. And then past tense, present tense, future tense. So you recall that story, Izzy. What made you want to break your hand? How did that make you feel? How has that changed your life since? How have you coped with that? Where did you go mentally? All of these things are things that I can ask that are around the who, what, why, when, and where, and around different times, whether in that moment, in the future, or current tense, if, if we're talking about something that was in the past, that allows me to open up so much more when I hear something. Um, so in your head, when someone's saying something, you should obviously always be actively listening, but apply the who, what, why, when, and where to that and dive into it a little bit more. That usually is a great way to, on the fly, get new questions. And none of those are yes or no questions either. So they're exactly. just going to keep going. But what about asking more than one question at a time? I mean, that's where were you and when were you? How did you do this? And then having your guests answer all of them at the same time. 
do it one at a time, right? I mean, rather than asking five questions in one question. That is my other big pet peeve with interviewers. <laughs> Here's five questions. Now, remember them in the order that I gave them to you and give me good answers. They're never going to do it. And in most cases, you'll actually actively hear the guest go, well, here's the answer to this one. What was the other question you asked? Which is not good. It's just not good interviewing. It obviously makes them feel like they didn't hear everything you had to say, which could throw them off. It's not good as a listener. I want to hear everything. And now I feel like we've put a wall between the answers. You know, it's just confusing for everybody involved. And going back to something that you said, Matt, about past, present, future, the reason why that works so well for framing your questions is it's beginning, middle, and end. It's the basic structure of a story. So if you're talking about somebody who's doing charity work, what made you get started in that? Like, What attracted you to that? What are you guys doing now? What would you like to do in the future? Where do you want this to go? So if you structure your questions past, present, future, it's just a basic beginning, middle, or end. And I think it gives a lot of structure to a podcast. And I know I iterate structure a lot, but the reason why is the number one reason why people turn off interview podcasts is they can meander. So structure is really important to keep audience retention. There's that keyword again, Izzy. Story. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's a story. I know I'm biased, but everything's a story. Everything is a story. People, an interview is just about a person's story. All right, Izzy, we've talked a little bit about our pet peeves. What are some questions that you absolutely want to avoid? What are some questions that make you cringe when you hear? Similar to like not asking yes, no questions is when you ask somebody a question and then you answer it for them because you keep talking. Those two are kind of big. Did you write that down or did you do this instead of saying, how did you react to that? Or something like, uh, would you say that's a frustrating experience? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, where can you go for that? Yeah. Objection leading. Okay. So we've talked about some of our key pet peeves, some things in order to make sure that you are well prepared for your interview before you ever sit down with your guest. Some things you can do while your guest is talking. So that way you are both actively listening and you are finding new questions to ask in the moment that plays off their answers. John, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it over to you now. Obviously, technology has to make sure it's right. You have to make sure that you're, you're recording it, right? And it doesn't sound like trash because that's one of the other quickest ways to get people to turn off your podcast or, or turn off the radio yeah. station or the television station or whatever you're doing. If you can't hear them, if they're cutting out, if it's just trash. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. I mean, we go into more in-depth in this in other episodes, but I mean, just off the top, you need good equipment. Don't use your built-in computer mic. If you have a guest coming on, if you're not in the studio or if you're not sending them equipment for them to use, I mean, that might be another whole rabbit hole that you don't want to go down trying to get a guest to set up equipment. Have them call in, preferably a mobile phone, not on speakerphone or an ISDN line something like that, rather than using their built-in computer mic, because you're going to get whatever environment that they're in. I We talked about this on, again, several episodes, Matt, using a remote program like Zoom or Squadcast, Riverside, things like that, so that we can record separate tracks. And most importantly, like what we've already discussed in this episode, having that visual cue so we can go off of each other, even though you might not be using the video on your podcast. Well, John, let's say, all right, you're interviewing me. 
Mm-hmm. Right? I am your guest. I'm on Zoom because you know what? That's just I, we're nowhere close to each other. Let's do it. Give everyone kind of the beat by beat things that you would tell me as your guest. If I don't have a good mic, I'm I'm on I'm on a phone. It's crackling up. It's it's acting all crappy. What 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 are you telling me to do? All right. First of all, we go through a sound check and we'll check your sound environment. Most often, guests are on their built-in computer mic. It's going to sound echoey. Uh, you might have screaming kids in the background. You might be next to a highway. It's not. It's going to come over the recording. So, usually the the easiest way because they will, usually don't have equipment. I mean, our guests deal with podcasters, so a lot of our guests are podcasters. So they do have equipment. We kind of luck out on that end. But for most other podcasts, if you have a guest and they don't have equipment, like I said. Put them on the phone. A phone is better than a built-in computer mic. Your receiver on your phone is a a lot more direct to the signal. You're not going to get the background noise. Yes, it's going to sound like you're calling in on a radio show, but in the times that we're in right now, it's not a terrible thing. It sounds a lot better than you know sounding like in in your metal chamber. You know, sounding like like you're in the middle of a highway or in a war zone. Or so that's the first thing we do is is we try and get them a good signal on their phone. Speaker phones, you're going to have the same issues as you are a built-in computer mic. You're going to have the echoes and everything like that. So uh, just regular phone, hold it up to your ear and just talk into it. It's really super simple. Most programs you can dial into. Zoom is really easy with that. You can get a link right to your guest. They can dial in right there and they don't even need to have the app up on their computer. Well, now, John, all right, so you got me on there. I'm on the phone. I'm sounding on. Still no video, but that's okay, like we just discussed. Now, how, how are we recording? Again, each program is going to be a little bit different, but Zoom. Let's just pretend Zoom is the way that everyone's doing it right now. So so what do you need to do in order to make sure that you hear my lovely voice in your recording? Make sure you have levels. Make sure you hear it in your headphones. If you don't hear the guest, you're not going to record the guest. But another important part on the production end of it, make sure you're recording in separate channels. If you have multiple guests and they're all into a stereo file, you're not going to be able to edit out Izzy's coughs or Matt's kids screaming in the background or anything like that. It's all going to be on there. But if you have your separate audio tracks, I can take those out. Every time that I interrupt Matt or every time that I acknowledge him with the uh-huh, I can remove that. And you don't even know that I'm doing that. Excellent. So, And I know in Zoom that there is a setting in which to record separate tracks, which is always good. Now, granted, I think we've seen this before. It doesn't necessarily record, especially if you have multiple people on the phone. It doesn't record all of them. Sometimes it does lump them together, but at least you have some separate tracks there, which is always good. If you go under the Zoom settings under recording tab, there's a box you can check right next to record a separate audio file for each participant. There we go. And another big thing, Matt, if you have the ability to record a backup, record your backup because you still can't rely on Zoom. You can't rely on squad cats you can't rely on riverside there's been a lot of times where the best recording is still your backup recording yes mistakes always happen things go wrong and i think it's something that um you know if you maybe have a non-tech savvy guest coming on it's not a bad idea to give them either a quick walkthrough beforehand either in the email or an article on how to do it or to use a program that will record those things really really well so that way you have a backup of yourself, but you also have a recording of them. I think that's fair to do. The best scenario is obviously everyone records locally on their own machine, but that's not always plausible. And 
if you're a client of queued up, we can be on the phone or we can be on that recording session with you to make sure everybody has the proper sound recordings. And we have no issue telling your guests what they need to do in order to sound the best. Because a lot of times some people are like, you know, this is Obama. You know, how am I supposed to tell me it sounds like shit? Right. We will. Also, if you have a guest that has a lot of quirks or if they fidget a lot, I know that's one of my big problems. I fidget a lot. So it's good to have separate audio tracks again so you can cut that stuff out. I don't think the audience needs to hear the clicking of my ice and my Duncan <laughs> coffee this morning. I've been clicking a pen like crazy over here. Or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like uh like one of our guests recently on our client's podcast that chewed gum the entire time. That oh, was God. a nightmare in editing. I'm a big fan of the mouth breathing, John. <sighs> but all of these things, I mean, I, I, we're, we're, we're making some light of all of this stuff, but I, I think it's all, any of these things reduce the quality of your interview. And you could have the greatest interview in the world. If your guest sounds terrible, if they're cutting in and out, if you are breathing on mic and you don't remove it afterwards, or your guest, yeah, like you said, John, there's a highway right behind him, the dogs are barking, this is happening. It sounds chaotic. It doesn't allow you to, and we mentioned it at the top of the show, it's an intimate thing. The second you start removing it, the second you start adding some barriers there, adding some additional noise that is not actively in your own house, it takes you out of that moment a little bit, which means, again, the greatest interview in the world, not going to sound good. So you have to make sure your technology is right the first time around, and that there's nothing quite like oh, man, this thing sounds terrible. There's no way we can put it out. How are we going to possibly use this interview in the future? How are you going to feel having to contact that guest again and be like, uh, yeah, we screwed up either because it didn't record right or because it didn't sound good? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And the best thing you can hope for at that point is maybe they'll come back on and re-record a little segment or uh, that you're able to use the little bit of snippet that did sound good in a promo for a later show. So yeah, again, I think when we talk about all the things that you can do to become a better interviewer, it's really cut up into two sections. Make sure that you do your research properly and that you're, you're good with your guests and the interview questions themselves, and then make sure your technology is right. If either one of those things are failing, your podcast is going to fail, your interview is going to fail. Uh, but more specifically, find guests you're really interested in, do your research in on that guest and maybe what they're going through right now specifically. So you know how eager they are to talk or maybe not as eager to talk. Prepare and ask probing questions. Have a pre-interview process. Keep the conversation moving forward so you don't end up with a four-hour long podcast. Do not interrupt when they're in the middle of speaking. I'll slap you if you do it. Practice active listening and then listen back to your own interview and those you admire in order to improve as an interviewer. And then again, make sure your text right. We, we talk about that all the time anyway. So listen to really just about any episode for us to talk about how to make sure your technology is right. Or again, we give you some, some pointers here. But uh, guys, I think we had a pretty good interview here, if I do say so myself. Our technology was right. We had the questions right. We weren't too scripted. No, this was, a, this was an awesome episode. Thanks, Izzy, for coming on. Thank you for having me. You always bring a lot of good information. Now, Matt. One last thing, if you're having trouble finding the right guests, I believe we can help. You know, John, I, I think we can. I, I don't know why I'm, I'm feigning ignorance to this. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely. We can help you uh, either 
get booked on other podcasts or more importantly, try to help you find uh, some guests for your podcast more specifically. So contact us uh, at mypodcastagency.com or any of our social channels, queued up audio on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. I think that's all of them. Uh, or again, contact us info at qd-up.com, mypodcastagency.com, info at qd-up.com, or at any of our social media channels. And we'll hook you up and make sure that you are well taken care of and your interview is set up to succeed from the get-go. Well, thanks everybody for joining me. Uh, Izzy, as always, you are wonderful. And for those people that want to find you on social media, where can they get a hold of you? You can find me on Twitter at Izzy's underscore Inc. underscore, or you can email me at Isabel at QD-up.com. Or if you contact John or Matt, I'm sure they'll get a hold of me eventually. Awesome. Well, thanks, Izzy, for joining us and telling us all about how to be a great interviewer. Thank you for having me. I know I did all the pet peeves we talked about today, but this is why you listen back to your interviews to improve. So, Exactly. Exactly. All right. All right. We're done. That's all for today's podcast news, tips, and tricks. You can find us at mypodcastagency.com or on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at QDUP Audio. Make sure to share us with your podcast friends and follow us on your favorite podcasting app. Thanks for podcasting with us, and we'll talk to you next Wednesday.